Ross Payton here with uh, Roleplaying Public Radio, and uh, this is episode 11, the dungeon crawl from here to eternity. Uh, obviously, this is our tribute episode to the the, gene, the late, great uh, Gary Gygax, and of course with me is uh, Mr. Tom Church. Who, Gee, uh, thanks for including me finally after about 15 seconds there, Ross. Well, I was waiting for you to say something, Tom. But well, I don't interrupt people when they talk. Yeah, you do, Tom. You you do it a lot, but uh, they that, don't know that. That's true, but we're not here to talk about your poor, uh, your lack, your bad habits, your poor etiquette. We're here to talk about Mr. Gygax. Very um, well, very well. He passed away on March fourth, uh, and it's sort of obviously. I was very saddened by his passing. He his work obviously influenced uh, oh. me quite a bit. Well, hell, if you're into gaming, you know his name at least. Yeah. Uh well, actually not uh, some of my friends who are into gaming didn't, but um What kind of friends are they then, Ross? Not very good ones, no, I guess. No, they're not. Or just not very educated, not very schooled, I guess. Oh, and unwa- the unwashed masses. Yes. But when we we're talking about uh, uh Gygax, I mean, he created D&D along with Dave Arneson and um his, I mean, people don't recognize how much of an influence he's had on pop culture. I mean, it's not just Dungeons and Dragons. Or it's, his appearance on that or, episode of Futurama, either. Right. He's it's, done more. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's that D&D provided the framework that so many other forms of storytelling, uh, media, uh, video games, and otherwise use today. It, it provided sort of a common... Uh, framework that so many other geeks who went on to create movies, TV shows, whatever, uh, have used. You're referring to the group of group of heroes with limited resources who, nevertheless, through through time, accomplished well, yeah, I massive mean, things. Yeah, uh, um, there's. See, I'm educated, Ross. I yeah, know. there you go. Um, the thing of it is, you know, the the whole model of uh, the role playing game, you know, was is something that has informed everyone since. I mean, like, you can't design a video game without understanding, without picking up on some of this framework. Even if you never touch uh, Dungeons & Dragons or anything else like that, you the idea of interactive storytelling, of creating uh, conflict and narrative at the same time through certain challenges, is, uh, you know, you owe a lot to uh, uh, Gary. And... Um, I mean, look, even in video games today that, like, uh, have nothing to do with it. Uh, Grand Theft Auto, you know, the latest ones, you had your character building up stats through action, you know, basically getting experience points so they could shoot faster, drive better, that sort of thing. So... If you didn't just cheat right away to get it. Right, yeah. Um, And, of course, uh, Gary Gygax is known for creating the sort of philosophy of the old school, the dungeon crawl, the hack and slash, the battle of the wits between the players and the game masters and the game itself and the sheet of graph yeah paper. the tomb of horrors where death came quick and arbitrary um and only the cunning the paranoid and the ruthless and the strong survived and the rest died unmourned yeah and you know obviously this this old school philosophy is still practiced today but there are different models different philosophies but i feel that every form of gaming role-playing gaming today is based on that foundation because we couldn't have had what we do have today where it's just more collaborative, more based on storytelling uh, without that forming that foundation of the competition, the conflict between the GM and because even now, even in collaborative storytelling, it's the GM is expected to provide challenges and pro- be basically open and honest. 
And yet Anyways. still I play games with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm not as old school as, you know, guy, Mr. As uh, Gary would have been. Um, he, you know, in the Tomb of Horrors, have you, have you ever read that scenario? Yes, I have. Okay. So, you know, the, the big bronze uh, head, you know, mm-hmm. the, with the gaping mouth, you know, you remember what's it, it was inside of that? I'm a horrible person because I do not. Please, Ross, tell me what was in it. A sphere of annihilation, and it was in a shadow, so you couldn't see the sphere of annihilation. And this was back in the very first edition, you know, just D&D, so players didn't all know what a sphere of annihilation was. So if you reached inside the the mouth of this head, you died. Period. And were eradicated. Yes. That, and that was it. And people, of course, there's no clues. There's no warning. Um, it just instant death. Like there's no, I mean, there's no, there's not even any creepy music build up to it. No, no. And, uh, or people like popcorn going flying, don't open that man. Right, right. And people think, you know, oh my God, that's terrible. That's just uh, an awful game design decision. That, that'll just piss players off. That's not a bug. That's a feature. It was supposed to be like that. It was supposed to keep you on your toes. Uh, for one thing, if you actually did manage to get to the end of the, you know, Tomb of Horrors and actually beat it, then that was a major victory. I mean, you you had bragging rights. and uh, Didn't get you laid, but you had bragging rights. Right. And not everyone could do that. And, of course, today, you know, modules are supposed to be more balanced in that sense. Um, you know, for example, like... It's very weird. Uh, you know, the week he died, I was writing uh, a fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons module for Goodman Games. Um, I don't think I mentioned that before, but you did. <laughs> but you mentioned it every single time I was over here. Well, I'm talking about on the show, Tom. And uh, I believe you mentioned it last show. Yeah. Well. Anyways. Um, By the way. He was working on a module for Fourth Ed for Goodman Games. Just Actually, I'm still working on it right it. now, uh, as of this show, because uh, it's in. Re- I have to revise it now. I guess sent the rough draft in, and I had to get it back. And blah, blah, he blah, said, blah. "Well, you're like this, but this stuff really sucks. Fix that." Pretty much, because right. um, how would your ego take that? <laughs> Took it well because I'm still getting published, baby. All right, um, and you know, I'm still trying to create that, trying to. Uh, update that i'm not trying to put an instant death in this scenario but uh you still want to make it challenging you still want to make have hard tough battles for the pcs to you know have to really struggle through so when they win they get a real sense of accomplishment and uh you know i'm trying a lot of different things with it but that that sort of that the core of that philosophy is still i think in most games i mean obviously the indie rpgs where it's all based on narrative um are a different beast, but still, there's there's still competition there. I mean, there's still that that simple framework, and I don't know. I I just I I really wish we you know we missed him at Gen Con. I saw him briefly, and I wish I had waited in line to uh, talk to him. And I really regret that I never got a chance to, yeah, to was, shake his hands. We were both there. I mean, I didn't even realize I didn't re- didn't even realize he was there until like the day before the last day yeah i mean I, I asked a few questions on the ian world message boards of him but i never well he was trying to keep his visit kind of low-key i don't remember no he, he was promoting a new book oh okay well so I'm, um i'm an idiot i just i i was stupid i thought you know i'm still young enough that i think everybody's gonna i, I don't think about people you know passing away and so I just like, oh, I'll see him next year. And I just, yeah, that's gonna be a regret. I'm gonna have. I a got, long fr- time. I got some friends who are like that with, who are like that with Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan. Oh Wheel yeah, yeah, Wheel of Time. Yeah, that's. I mean, you never know how much you miss. You know how valuable someone is until 
they're gone. I mean, even just an icon. Uh, um, because, you know, if you read through his old material, I mean, he's, you know, not a perfect... He had very sort of antiquated notions in some ways. I mean, his uh, uh, random prostitute table, you know, in the first uh, edition uh, DM guide, where it was like a strumpet or a, a, a trollop. Yeah, harlot, yeah. Harlot with his yeah. part of gold or... No, just har- they just, just had the harlot? one word. Yeah, just it was sort of like a thesaurus with the numbers on it. And... Um, <laughs> But I mean that—that's just part of the old school philosophy where things don't make sense. It's all about the fun. It's all about you know challenging, grabbing you by the short hairs, and uh, uh, seeing if you and daring you, you to survive. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a different, uh, different philosophy, and I can see the sort of generational conflict between you know like indie game designers and the newer generations, where you know the the older ones, the the old school people, who, the grognards, uh, say that's an actual term, by the way. That uh, is uh, grognard uh, comes from the Napoleonic era, where it referred to the grumblers, the old beard, gray bearded veterans who grumbled about everything. And uh, war gamers picked it up to describe a certain type of war gamer who had a beard and was old and grumbled about everything. And that sort of carried on to role playing games. So the old school players who all are old, you know, gray haired and have beards, they're referred to as grognards. Well, Ross, you have dropped some knowledge on my head. Yes, and hopefully uh, you, the audience. Um, but anyways, the Grognars, of course, obviously look at us, younger generation, as the whippersnappers who were spoiled by video games. Totally, Im- totally impatient. Yes, and we don't want a real challenge. If we die, we want to reboot. We want to re- you know reload the last save games. We don't want death to be permanent. And we want cheat codes. And cheat codes. We'll make it too easy. And uh, well, A lot of that is true, actually, but... I mean, on the other hand, you also read some of these old school gamers, you know, like the AB3 stories. They were all very much, you know, the old school philosophies, Mm, Um, you know, Thumbs of Death, you know, our last AB3 skit that we did. Uh, You know, that PCs die in horrible deaths for no good reason. Uh, And by the the way, I do acknowledge mentioning that, that my Fonzie sucks pretty bad that that was kind of the point tom okay well as long as that was the point i think i think that enhanced it um honestly it kept me up at least one night just thinking my god i'm i've insulted the fonts well now the whole uh internet knows how horrible your impression is and it's going to be on the internet forever tom even if i deleted it it would still be out there well yeah yeah so but uh, i am immortal now yes yes infamous but yet immortal but anyways um it's interesting to see this generational conflict, and the thing is, the kids though they, they you know the, our younger generations we still have that sense of conflict, that sense of you know fighting and dying and just battling against an unfair world and stacked odds and all this other stuff, and I think that's the sort of the true spirit of uh, uh, Mr. Gygax's work is to create that sense of victory despite all odds the real you know the heroic myth where the hero is faced with un, you know impossible odds yet he still prevails somehow and i think that's the sort you know the the he was trying a different one way of doing it now that we saw the strengths and weaknesses of his techniques the newer generations the newer approaches to gaming like the collaborative can use different ways to achieve that same effect that emotional effect so, uh, I well, mean, it, things do get emotional when we're, we game over here. Yeah. Or any, you know, in most games, I, I can't, um, you know, a lot of the stories we've read here, a lot of the other uh, anecdotes, people do take these seriously. Um, I mean, not, not seriously, but they really get into it, you know, like 
um, any other hobby that you can really invest your energies into, invest your energies into. So yeah, I, mean, I haven't had too many games where it was, you know, people just kind of waiting around, smoking, waiting for like, oh, is it our turn? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll. Yeah, people really get into it. They get, they want their characters to win or die, or to if they die, Often have at the expense of anything else. Yeah, um, and I don't know. I I I just. Um, I want to someday, someday soon run an old school dungeon crawl and record it here and uh, have you all die horrible deaths. I think it'll be fun. So, but that's sphere, when, sphere of annihilation, Ross. Yes, sphere of annihilation. I mean, I, I mean that that's the 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 greatest. Except, well, then again, we have then again we have the option of the epic umbral blot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I mean, new and better rules. Um, one of the things I've really enjoyed. Um, is oh crap i forgot uh good job ross <laughs> i uh it'll come back to me in a second but um i can almost smell lean calories burning as ross tries to remember this point yeah i'm just gonna stop recording right now <laughs> well anyways um i just remembered uh one particular game that was very competitive very old school uh you weren't there tom but i i've told you about this before it was uh ad and d second edition and it was held at this uh, cyber cafe this uh, power games uh back oh, in the late 90s the place where we went to go play the original quake yeah that's where i, I that's where i learned how to play first person shooters with a mouse and that was you know back i, I recall i remember i still quake i still refuse to do that yeah because you suck at i games. did suck i sucked very badly yeah and uh anyways there's a big man to admit that there's us you know high school friends uh me chris josh you uh and then there were the people who ran it uh, i do remember i do remember them yeah a couple of bearded guys uh grog nerds (laughs) and at one point like you were a wuss and you went home or something you didn't want to know i I stayed no i was i stayed out playing computer games i think oh you didn't want to play ravenloft you were there yeah Okay. Well, anyways, it was yeah, I was there. I was there, but I was not in the game. Okay, I'll take your word for it because I don't remember that well. <laughs> Way to go! I know. Uh, no, I'm sure you. Were. But yeah, I, 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 but I, I do, don't remember. I remember the people there, and they were very few people had opinions of high of themselves as these people did. Anyways, I remember that it was Ravenloft. Ten people, like eight to ten people. It was ridiculous. Big conference room table, one game master. There was a lot of alcohol on the table. Um, I wasn't drinking, but a lot of the other people were. Well, they so. were you drinking like- stuff like called uh, uh, Sex on the Beach, which is like some sort of chocolate-flavored f- uh, liquor. Good. At, um, I hope so. You what, Were you like 15 then? Yeah, something like that. Anyways, a lot of alcohol on the table, and uh, several of them were drinking. Um, also, the DM um, had a lot of house rules. He had like a whole yellow <laughs> tablet house rules yeah like most of them were related to martial arts and most (laughs) of the people were ignored them however i was like one of the few that took them there was one path like there are different schools or techniques you could pick and um i was the only one who i flipped him was like oh that's kind of cool that's kind of cool and then like at level one there's like a boxing or a fist fighting one that let you attack twice per round you know one with each fist for 1d10 lethal damage and this is AD&D. That's like a 7th level fighter with a great sword does two attacks around with 1d10 damage. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick that one. <laughs> so I was like, you know, the, the and we were all elves. We were all elves who were on a ship. 
The ship sank. We all got shipwrecked. We all got on this island. So I was the elven Muhammad Ali. And I remember he one of his other house rules was perception. He had a perception attribute, and we rolled a d20 to figure out what our perception was. I rolled a 20. I was the goddamn eagle-eyed elven Muhammad Ali. All right, so... Uh, I was pretty dumb, though. My character was pretty dumb. But not, not, it, I could not see... Not a sharp knife? Like, not a sharp knife, but with tough hands and sharp eyes. Um, Zoolander from Zanzibar. All yeah, right. exactly. Something like that. And um, anyways... I suck at those Don King little... Yeah, things. you do. You don't even try again. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we were on this island, and, you know, it was Ravenloft, and it was spooky, and we so all... all were vampires ship- involved? I don't remember. No, no. We were all That's level one the, characters. Oh. And we had no weapons or items because we were shipwrecked, obviously. We just washed up on the beach. And the thing is, you know, on one half of the table were all the high school aged people. You know, me, Chris, Josh. Bob, yeah, Josh, and I think Jared. And there's like one or two other people on our side. The other side of the table, you know, the older ones, they were on the other And we basically were in two teams. And the older side, they got swords and they found a couple swords on the beach. And so they were sort of taking over. And, um, no, there's one or two high school guys. Toby, he was on their side, and uh, so we were basically two separate camps. Well, Toby was kind of hate- well, Toby was kind of the hanger on lackey guy for those guys, weren't wasn't he? Yeah, he was a dick. Yes, he was. Anyways, um, so he was basically their little lackey, and we sort of did whatever they wanted because they had weapons, and I didn't want to challenge them all with you know even with my amazing fists of doom, and. Uh, <laughs> We got into the forest. We got chased by wolves, and um, basically around wound up. You know, they we found a couple things like a spell book. You know, one of the players found a spell book, and he got color spray from it. And eventually, it basically turned into PC versus PC. You know, and also oh, Lord of the Flies took over. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great comparison. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, it was basically Lord of the Flies with elves in Ravenloft. <laughs> And with a boxing elf. And um, <laughs> the thing was, one of them somehow spontaneously developed psionic powers, and he developed an ability that held me paralyzed even while I was being attacked, which was way too powerful for a level one character. So basically, I was paralyzed, and they just shot me down with arrows and killed me. Uh, their color spray, the color spray spell didn't work, didn't affect anyone, even though it should have stunned them for several rounds. But uh, one of the players asked for divine intervention, got it because he rolled like you know a seventy-seven. He rolled like a hundred on the D one hundred roll. I mean, just a ridiculous roll. But he he became a cl- level three cleric. But it still didn't matter. He got killed, like you know, fairly quickly later. All the other players, though, they got killed, uh, except for one who basically became evil and started getting Ravenloft mutations, and uh, became a deformed evil monster that was chased up a tree by wolves, and he died. Kill everyone, the pig. Kill every, the pig. everyone died, <laughs> and all I remembered is my character. Basically, what I've said. That's all I remember. And the game was like four hours. We played for like at least four hours, and because the GM, uh, part of it was. It got slower as the game went on because the DM got more and more drunk as the game went on. (laughs) And uh, that's not a good idea, especially with eight players who are antagonists to each other in two different camps. And you're using a bunch of house rules and um, a lot of the other players are getting drunk. 
Wow. But I still had fun because everyone died. And later on, the DM, when he looked at it, remember what happened like the next day or something. He's like, you know what? Yeah, you guys should have won. Like the color spray should have knocked them all out. Then you could have just caved all their heads in. Or, you know, basically admitted we would have killed their asses. But my mind was interrupted by booze. Basically. And uh, so, you know, everyone died and uh, we all had a fun time. And I think I, I think I was still in the other in the computer room playing Quake with my current with my then friend Daniel using stupid Predator skins because we loved them so much. Yeah, I thought you were more of a total annihilation guy. I like that game okay, but as Quake was really more my thing. Okay. Though uh, actually, uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert was out was just out then. I really love that one. Okay. Yeah, I yeah the old school video game fucking race. Tesla coils. Yes. Um, you know, one of the other things that Gagax really did was also popularize a lot of fantasy works, uh, to a whole generation, two generations of geeks, you know, not just the people growing up in the seventies and eighties, but the ones today and indirectly, but still, because, um, it's not just Tolkien, Tolkien. I mean, people think, oh, it's just Tolkien with the serial number follow up. It's not. I mean, there's like lots of Conan in that as well. You know, Robert Howard, Mm -hmm. Robert E. Howard. I'm sorry. Um, But also several other fantasists. You know, Lovecraft. That was a huge influence in D&D. Dragonlance. That's the only one I remember from that came from dd i'm talking about influences uh well i am so well excuse me ross i am not as awesome as you uh franz lieber uh you know the uh uh, farford and the gray mauser um what else regrettably i read more sci-fi than fantasy in my childhood michael moorcock you know um elric uh stormbringer uh, let's see here, Sprague de la Camp, um, a few others probably, but I mean, those authors, you know, were introduced to all these, these young generations fantasy itself became, I think, more acceptable. I don't think we would have the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings trilogy if Dungeons and Dragons wasn't such a cultural force. Yeah. I think, I mean, we wouldn't have, uh, you know, everything from Xena warrior princess to, uh, Dragonlance, obviously Dragonlance to, uh, many other works. So, um, and I do, I do owe the D, his D and D game for actually making my first role playing group have just a modicum of cool and unhip underground ability. Because every member of my first group, all their families, mothers particularly, were hardcore Christians who thoroughly still believe that D and D was the devil's game. Yep, along with Harry Potter and mm. uh, most of Western civilization, probably. Yeah, I, I mean, not twentieth. Everything from 1950 on. Yeah, in, in fact, culture, one of my probably. friends who was in my group, Elvis. I, I won't name. I won't name his name, but when his his mother found out that he was, you know, gaming with us, and she made him as punishment first have to memorize the Ten Commandments, uh-huh. and then forced him to watch this episode of the Seven Hundred Club where they talked about wow. Dungeons and Dragons being corrupting youth. Wow, and uh, he's now into really hardcore drugs. Yeah, that uh, and uh, still games all the time. Yeah, yeah, you can't really control your kids like that. Um, the more you repress it, the more you, you know. Well, God, haven't they seen Carrie? Yeah, the more you repress the teens, you know, you you make something forbidden. The more, uh, uh, you know, tempting it becomes to them. So, anyways, um, yeah, it's uh, a great 
it's just a great game. Um, I think we can all be agree. But I mean, it's become this major cultural force, and you know, people think, oh, role playing games are dying. The industry is doomed. Blah blah. Pen and paper games are going to be phased out. Blah blah blah. They're going to change. I mean, they're always obviously. changing. They're uh, they're obviously evolving. But I still think there's a. Uh, they're always going to be a niche. I think they're always going to be sort of the most innovative and most the smallest. Like if you look at the uh, games overall as like the, the sort of series of circles, you know, one growing bigger than the other. RPGs and board games are going to be like at the heart of it, like indie, you know, board games and RPGs. And then slightly outside of that, you have card games, collectible card games and see, you know, hero clicks and things like that and then out of that you have more mainstream board games and then you have video games and then you know you just get bigger and bigger and bigger and but like, and yeah I, someone actually i had a friend of mine say that aren't you worried that games your games are going to disappear with video games like as good as video games get there there's just something in a tabletop rpg that just yeah. video games will never be able to replicate i mean to be honest i don't think games should i mean i don't games need a lot more setup in the fact you need several people at the same time at the same place all willing to play and that's you know with a video game you just plop the disc in and so um i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i think games will always be around uh, rpgs will always be around it because i think you know, people say, oh, the fan base is aging, blah, blah, blah. Well, whatever. I mean, there's still young people in gaming. I think uh, people are still going to dis- uh, find it. I think all game designers, all people who want to make video games are going to find this stuff. All the geeky guys who are going to become screenwriters for, you know, the next Joss, uh, Joss Whedon project or... Uh, or God help you, the sci-fi original movies. Yeah, they're all going to be playing D&D or they'll have played it when they were growing up. Um, it's an incubator for talent. It's an incubator for creativity. Because they're really, you know, like in the interview we had last week with Sean uh, Jaffe, did you? Did yeah. 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 I mean, he talks about how gaming taught him flexibility uh, in storytelling and how that carries over to other fields. Uh, if you look like there are um, screenwriter blogs around when uh, Mr. Gygax died, uh, where, you know, John August, who, big time screenwriter, uh, just came out with a movie called The Nines. He said, oh, I grew up playing that when I was a kid. And obviously I moved on. He moved on to other things, but that's still there. And um, I think that legacy, his footprint is going to be on popular culture for the next you know century. I mean, it's, it's sort of a subtle influence, but it's there if you know what to look for. That's and, right. Mothers, let your kids play RPGs. Yeah, I mean, hell, they could be... It's a lot better than doing drugs. Or, dr- or drinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, not, you should never drink an RPG at the same time. No, well, well I, uh, it could be fun. It could be funny. I, <laughs> that Ravenloft game got to be pretty funny. <laughs> I remember that much. Um, but yeah, you know, just... it's uh, So, Mr. Gygax, we, we salute you. We hope you are in the great beyond uh, gaming... Uh, for all of eternity, creating the greatest dungeons that will ever be. I hope whenever I die, and I God, get to. And, and God sends God sends sends them down to Satan for use in hell. This yeah. ideas. Hell is the greatest dungeon of all. It's gotta be. We gotta crawl it. So, um, we, I, I actually know several. I know a lot of sites and people and games that have stats for Satan. Well, yeah, that's just without. I mean, duh. You had to do every work in mythology. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Of course, it's legitimate. Uh. He's not really kidding, though. No, yeah, no, I, I, I'm kidding. You say that, Ross. No, I, I, I mean it. Anyways. Uh, your, your eyes are shifty right now. <laughs> no, they aren't. Anyways. Uh, he's lies. So, um, 
Next up, we have a promo from another RPG-themed podcast, and then we'll have our shout-outs for this special tribute episode of RPPR. Stay tuned, bitches. In a perfect world, wars are fought with miniatures, arguments are settled with dice, and life is all that stuff you do when you're not gaming. The world is not perfect. The Escapist Cast is the official podcast of TheEscapist.com and features discussions on role-playing advocacy, exploring the myths and misconceptions about tabletop RPG and LARP, improving public image and understanding of the hobby, and putting our passion for the game to good use towards improving the world around us. Discover the reality of fantasy games at theescapist.com slash escapistcast. And we're back. Um, yeah, I know what you're thinking, folks. Um, I don't have a letter this time because we're trying to do a tribute, and really all the and all the letters I have right now mention titties and fuck and titty fuck a lot. So I didn't think that'd be good for a, a tribute. Yeah, um, that's that's classy of you, Tom. Of course, you you just mentioned those words right well, now. So that's true. I guess I might as well yeah. go, I'll go go for broke and just say motherfucker. Well, I think guy, uh, Mr. Gygax, Gary. Oh, he said those words too. He would have. He would have appreciated the humor. And he 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 looked like Jerry Garcia. You could. That's true. Um. Anyways, uh, first shout out is for a roguelike, uh, which is a type of video game pioneered back in the old days of Unix programming, where the dungeon was uh, drawn with uh, text symbols like hash marks, and your character was represented by an ampersand, and so on and so forth. Anyways, Dungeon Crawl is the roguelike that has tile graphics, actual graphics, so monsters look like monsters instead of, you know, know, snakes are not S's, they're snakes. Um, Now, the other thing about roguelike games is that they're sadistically hard. I mean, if you thought the Tomb of Horrors were was bad, these games are worse because in all in Dungeon Crawl, there are many, many ways to die. Die very quickly. There and it's all randomized, so it's not really fair. It's very unfair. And if you die, your character is permanently dead. You've lost him forever. You cannot reload and go back to the last save. Your save is erased. Seriously, it's erased. I know. I, I came in one time when you were just getting done with the game. There was sweat on your forehead. Yeah. You had a, I don't want to say a crazed look about you, but a bloodshot look about you. Yeah, they're, they're very frustrating because... Uh, but I never saw you happier. <laughs> I've never beaten it yet, but uh, in Dungeon Crawl, you have to go to through 27 levels of a dungeon, including many sub-branches, with, which, so it's like 80 levels of dungeon crawling. Uh, all randomized to get to the get the orb of Zot, uh, and then get to the top of the dungeon with it, and that's very very hard to do. People do it on a regular basis, but only after years of playing and developing the paranoia and uh, obsessiveness, and megalomania, resor- yeah, uh, to uh, obsessive resource management, cowardice, and paranoia that is required to beat this game. Because if you think there's a threat, you're probably going to die. If there's two monsters at once, you're probably going to die. If there's three monsters at once, you're going to die unless you run away. You have to run away all the time. You have to be have eyes in the back of your head. You have to imagine all kinds of threats. Did you know they actually have ghosts? Like when your character dies, he can have a ghost uh, show up when another character plays. I've been killed by my own dead characters. That is harsh. That is very harsh. I was like, "Oh, Bobby, Bobby's ghost." Oh, yeah. At two, at two, Bobby. Yeah. Oh, Bobby. I guess you're kind of pissed. I jumped in that 
pit of acid. Yeah, I didn't really think that through. I'm so oh Bobby oh Bob oh now there's another ghost. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's a tragic. great game and it'll run on anything and uh, you should try it out. I've actually got a, a level thirteen necromancer that I'm working uh, up. Uh, it's pretty fun. Well. Super D Duke. Oh yeah, there's 27 races, 20 or there's like 30, 20 or 30 different races, 20 or 30 different classes. Uh, there's nagas, centaurs, uh, all kinds of elves, orcs, demon spawn. Yeah, very very fun. But does it have rules for water evaporation? <laughs> Actually, in a sense, they do. You can throw. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, but uh, any like veterans of our show will know what that was from. Yes, um, Battle for North Africa. Anyways, uh, Tom, you had one. Yeah, I. I know it's kind of a cop out, but I don't do much D and D stuff. But I have bought recently the expand the sequel to Neverwinter Nights, Neverwinter Nights Two, and it's uh, and the expansion pack that came out for it, Mask of the Betrayer. And I, I mean, I love the I love the games, but Mask of the Betrayer in particularly I like because it's epic and you really do some epic things in it. Gotcha. Like you know, you actually journey to the Fugue Plane. And have to free your own soul from the wall of judgment, and you meet Kelimvor, the god of death. Okay. And it's it's kind of nice. I mean, uh, I know that the first Neverwinter Nights had its own epic expansion, but really the only epic thing you did was meet Mephistopheles and fight him. But I mean, I mean huh? well, who cares about yes, that? That's, yes, yeah. that's an epic thing, but that's the only thing really epic in it. And the, and the other one, there's all kinds of epic shit you do. Mm, I see. By the way, did I mention Epic? Yes. So there's mine. I thought it was awesome. Okay. And I want you to get those judgmental eyes off of me, Ross. <laughs> Not, uh, he, he lies about these things. Um, seriously, though. Uh, my last uh, shout-out is to Diesel Boy, who is a drum and bass uh, musician, which is basically insanely fast beats. It's, it's techno music. But he put out an album uh, a few years back called The Dungeon Master's Guide, which is actually... Uh, uh, it's drum and bass, very fast te- techno music, but strangely enough, it works really well as a D and D soundtrack. I mean, most people use either you know classical music or m- heavy metal, but or in I, your case, the Conan soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, which kind of yeah, exactly. But um, the Dungeon Master guys works really well as a music for an action paced game. You know, you put it up during a boss fight or something, and players will really get into it. I've run, I've played the DMG. Uh, several times. Yes, you have. And uh, they, they, they've worked the times you've used it. Yeah. So that's uh, our recommendations. That's so, not Led Zeppelin. Yeah, so we'll be back next week with another episode of RPPR. Tom, you already thought of the idea. Uh, what's the uh, next episode's theme going to be? Like, actually, like I, thought, I thought we might do something about running games in systems that all your players are intimately familiar with. Okay. And so I'm keeping it spicy then. Okay. Because, you know, if... Yeah, it's like Patrick. Remember, Patrick was he when he used to play uh, Call of Cthulhu with us. He knew the stats of every monster of the mythos. Yeah, that's true. So how and do you it's keep a challenge it to not. It's a challenge when you know all that information to not use it. True, true. Uh, I know during the uh, playtest of the Zeppelin scenario in Call of Cthulhu. That that was a, it was a star vampire. Yeah, because I just oh invisible sucks blood out sucker marks. Yeah, it's star vampire. But it's like, okay, it's like must resist urge. To well, I'd already fallen off the Zeppelin by that point. Well, that, that, that helps when you're dead. Yeah, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. It's like, I'm telling you, Tom, it's a star vampire for real. And, and it doesn't stop you from shouting out advice to the other players. No, that didn't. So, 
Anyways, uh, this has uh, been episode 11 from the Dungeon Crawl from here to eternity. Uh, we hope you kill some orcs, loot some bodies, and uh, crawl some dungeons in tribute of Mr. Gygax. I know there have been a lot of other tributes already, but uh, we couldn't... Uh, we had to say, you know, he was one of the greatest cultural figures, I think, in the last 30 years. In a lot of ways, a lot he's going to be an underappreciated figure. Uh, but I really think he is a, a an icon of pop culture and gaming, obviously. Uh, so we salute you, Mr. Absolutely, Gygax. man. Wherever you are, uh, may your dice always roll 20s. I don't know. That was um, beautiful, Ross. I just... Uh, um, anyways, that's all I can say. Uh, we'll see you next time. Stay frosty, people. <laughs>